to a meaningful marketplace. I'm Sarah Massoni from Oregon State University's Food Innovation Center, where I've helped countless dreamers launch their new food products. It's the science of taking a food delight from the kitchen to mass manufacturing and still keeping its great taste. That's what I do. I've been called the woman with the million-dollar palate, although I haven't tried to cash that check yet. Listen in weekly for real-life stories. Sarah Marshall, owner of Marshall's Hot Sauce and author of Preservation Pantry, modern canning from root to top and stem to core. I love inspiring business owners to get started on their journeys, encouraging folks to be part of their local community, and I'm excited to help business owners tell their stories. Join us as we explore the journeys of women entrepreneurs in the food and beverage industry. Hello, and welcome to Masonian Marshall, the Meaningful Marketplace. We are here weekly to discuss the journeys of female food entrepreneurs. We're so glad you joined us today as we bring you stories of hope and inspiration. This is Sarah Massoni, the woman with the million dollar palette, coming to you from Oregon State University College of Agricultural Sciences Food Innovation Center in Portland, Oregon. Sarah Marshall is away today taking care of loved ones. I do have some food news for you today. We're preparing for the Summer Fancy Food Show in New York City. It's June 25th through the 27th at the Javits Center. And the Food Innovation Center will have a group of food entrepreneurs there with us in Incubator Village. If you plan to be there, stop by and say hi. The Good Food Mercantile will be in Portland in April. If you're a maker, see about joining the trade show either as a maker or as a buyer, I hope to see you there as well. I'll also be walking Natural Products Expo West in early March, and if you're there and you see me, stop me and say hi and introduce yourself. And lastly, this is the thing I'm pretty much mostly excited about. I've been invited to judge the chocolate um, for the Oregon Chocolate Festival coming up in early March, and I believe there will be some tickets available still, so if you wanna join me in Ashland, March 3rd through the 5th. I hope to see you then. We want to go ahead and thank our sponsor, Marketed Choice, for supporting this podcast, Masonian Marshall. And thank you for helping spreading the word about women food entrepreneurs. Marketed Choice is a proud sponsor of the Meaningful Marketplace because we believe in the power of local food entrepreneurs, so much so that we carry more than 7,000 locally made raised, farmed, and harvested foods in our stores. Our passion is to help food makers, farmers, ranchers, and fisher folk realize their potential through programs that help them succeed. Thank you, Marketed Choice. We sure do love you. Okay, folks, I am not alone today in the show. My featured guest is Shelly Elkovich of For Better, For Worse. Hey, welcome, Shelly. It's so nice to have you with me today. Let's start out there. Hi, can you tell us and tell people how to find you? Yeah, so For Bitter For Worse is a non-alcoholic cocktails brand. We make complex cocktails with love, not alcohol. And we are available through all the major grocers in Oregon and, you know, nationwide at select specialty retailers and also through our website, ForBitterForWorse.com. Can you also tell us your Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, and maybe your website? 
Yeah. So uh, the website is forbitterforworse.com. You can find us on social media at forbitterforworse. And we do a little Twitter at drinkfbfw. Sweet. Awesome. Okay. Let's get right into the nitty gritty. Can you tell us how you started For Bitter For Worse? Yeah. So um, I launched the brand with my husband, Jeff Hegley, in 2020, spring of 2020. And Basically, we had this Nick and Nora vibe. You know, we were always entertaining. I was always the designated bartender for all of our social events. And then we took a whale watching trip on the Salish Sea. And I had a very rare neurological reaction to the boat trip. It has a fantastic French name, Mal de Debarquement. And it scrambled my equilibrium and caused me to break up with booze. And once that happened, I became more fully aware of how marginalized people can feel if they're not drinking in social and even workplace events. And I'm a a very nerdy label reading foodie. I may not have a million dollar palette like you, but I've got a pretty darn good palette. Yeah. uh, there wasn't it wasn't anything in the market that met my needs for adult occasions that also um, met my ingredient standards. And so because we were uh, very naive back then, we decided we would just simply launch a beverage brand. <laughs> That's what I we know. Well, beverages are awesome because if people like them, they'll drink lots and lots of it, right? It's true. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, it's been a wonderful ride, actually. We, it's, we're having a blast and I don't regret a minute of it. However, if I knew then what I know now, I think I would have been afraid to do it. Well, that's the thing about food and beverage entrepreneurship. We only learn a little bit every day as we go through. If we knew everything, we'd never do it. You're absolutely right. Okay. So I did a little sleuthing and I was looking you up on LinkedIn, which is something I always do for our guests. Uh And I noticed that you were at Wellesley College in the 80s. It's true. And one of my good friends from Minnesota was there at the same time. Is there a chance you could know this person? Her name was Audrey Winget. No, you can think about it. But anyway, I was like, okay, maybe we're three degrees of separation. That would be cool, but that name isn't ringing a bell. Okay, darn it. Okay, well, since we're talking about names, tell me about your company name. How did you um, decide on your company name? Well, you know, the business was kind of sparked by our long, sparky marriage. Um, We've been married a long time. I think it's 38 years now, something like Whoa, that. Oh, that's a long time. You got me beat. Wait, no, no, no. Sorry. 38 years. You know what? 38 years is actually the anniversary of our first kiss. We're just just a little. Oh. So it's like, eh, you know, I don't know what it is now. Anyway. Um, 30 something. 30 something. Enough that I got to think about it. But um, so it was a pun on the marriage vows partly. And we also say that the uh, brand name is kind of an invitation and a warning because I have this, co- you know, cocktail palette and I love bitter flavors and I like I like challenging drinks. And so okay. we wanted to register that in the business name as well. And, you know, cheeky pun on the marriage vows. It's kind of funny back when we were thinking about it. Yeah. We asked, you know, we asked a lot of our friends, many founders do this. I think, you know, you pull way too many people in your circle. Yeah. Get all yeah. And so people would laugh and be like, oh, that's funny. But wait, it sounds so negative. And I'm like, oh, oh. you know, and honestly, most people, we get an immediate reaction. People think our brand name is funny and catchy and they like it. Um, yeah. So 
I feel good about it. But I remember when I was trying to vet it with a bunch of people that cared a lot about us. At first, they'd go, that's great. And then they, you know, like I said, overthink it and worry about it. (laughs) Yeah, that's the thing about when you're starting up a food business, you only want to talk to a few supportive friends. I always tell people, sometimes it does get out of hand. Because you know what, when you ask someone's opinion, they think you're going to follow through with what they say. Yeah, you, you notice that crowdsource. Yes, and you can only crowdsource <laughs> so much, you know. Yeah, for sure. So, how did you go about finding out if that name was available for you to use? Oh, we, you know, we did the whole trade trademark search and all that. The so registration, registration. Yeah, yeah, we and did that right away. That's on the USPTO website, it and it's the uh, TESS. So great! So you have it registered. Do you yeah. have any tricks or tips about finding a name that suits you and your brand and your product that you could share? I mean, I do think to a you know a certain point, you should just trust your gut. And if it feels right and it feels true to you, go with that. But absolutely research and protect it right away. I mean, I do know so many founder friends that are now having to go through a rebrand or a new name because yeah. they stepped up early. Yeah, that's happened to friends I know too, where they've gotten something they thought was just spectacular. And then they end up in a little bit of a pickle when a lawyer contacts them and says, um, sorry, there's someone in Illinois using that name. Yeah. And I think the other thing is to always you know, think big about that stuff. Like do think about, don't think, well, I'm only going to be at farmer's markets or whatever. It doesn't matter if there's someone else in another state, think bigger and be ready, you know, for what might come. Yeah. Thinking big is a good suggestion. And even if you are only going to be staying regional, you never know what might happen to you. And that's future. what I mean. Yeah. Like yeah. you think you're going to do, you just don't know. You should plan for a yeah. stage. Maybe. I love that. Okay. Tell us about the beverages that you make. So we have four expressions. And again, this comes partly um, partly from naivete in the sense that I this all came from my need. And so I was like, okay, I want certain occasions and certain flavor profiles. And that actually I have learned is very smart from a marketing perspective. However, starting with more SKUs and starting with still and sparkling all at once can be a little bit of a challenge, um, especially if you want to co-pack. We we make our own beverage, so okay. it's fine that we don't have a co-packer. If we were starting with a co-packer and we had, you know, still skews and sparkling skews, that would be tricky because we'd probably need two co-packers. Okay, just um, start right, stop right there. Okay, yeah. so some people might not understand the difference between still and sparkling. Can you just tell us really quickly? Yeah, like carbonated or flat. So we have... Okay. Two sparkling drinks that are, um, you know, classified as kind of aperitifs, something you have at the aperitivo hour, happy hour, um, uh, spritzes. And then we have a still varietal that is like an alternative to a red wine. It's not the alcoholized wine, but it's red wine vibes. And then we have a potent smoky nightcap, and that is also still. And now we have two formats. We have the 750 mil sharing format, like the wine bottle size. And then we launched late this summer in six ounce single serve cans for for our sparklers. Oh, you decided to go single serve. That's great. Yeah, with our sparklers. Yeah, oh. I catch you up. I mean, you'll see everything in uh, at Fancy Food, but I'll get you. Yes, if you see things sooner. So, what exactly are the flavors that you chose? 
So um, the names of them are Eva's Spritz, Rose City Fizz, the Saskatoon, and Smoky Number no. Fifty Six. And the two sparklers, Eva's Spritz, is tart, herbaceous, a little more bitter on the finish. Um, it's kind of like an Aperol Spritz, but without all that sugar. Because I, even when I drank alcohol, I, I thought Aperol Spritz was a little too sweet. But similar botanicals um, that you would use in like Campari and Aperol. And then uh, Rose City Fizz is a little more fruit forward and approachable, but it's got a good ginger kick. And that, again, is also sparkling. Um, the Saskatoon is the one that kind of gives you red wine vibes. It's got um, some warming spice notes on top of the berry fruit and then um, a good tannic finish that comes from foraged Douglas fir tips. So Ooh. the duck fur kind of acts as the way tannins do in wine. Wow. Um, okay, so you used the word expressions when you were talking about your four beverages. Can you tell us why you used that word? Oh, gosh, it's funny that you honed in that because I usually say varietals. Right. But because, um, you know, I don't like the word just flavors. I feel like it's okay. a little too empty. Yeah. I was using the word varietals, but I now think that varietal has wine More like great. Yeah, it sounds like a great yeah. variety. Yeah, so I've been thinking about expressions. Expressions are kind of a spirit term, but it's also uh, unusual enough that I don't think it pigeonholes us into spirits. Yeah, I, mean, I like that. It's a challenging thing. Yeah, it's challenging, you know, because we straddle. It's more artsy. Yeah, yeah. Well, thanks. I'm glad you picked up on that because that's something I've just started playing with. I like thinking about words and how we use them to describe stuff too. And I think that's part of the branding that makes your product powerful because people can sub think, oh my gosh, she used the word expression. I like that. Uh-huh. Like that. So tell us which one of those expressions best tells your story. Mm. Gosh, that's such a good mm. I stole that question from Sarah Marshall. <laughs> She likes to ask that question. Yeah, that is a really good question. I mean, I think the impulse is to say Eva's Spritz because it's also named after my grandmother. Oh. Her name was Eva. She was a lifelong teetotaler, and she had a big rhubarb patch. Okay. And I have rhubarb juice in that drink. And nice. so I was thinking about her. When I was a little kid, she would give me a stick of rhubarb and a little paper cup with sugar in the bottom. Yeah. Yeah. And I'd walk around the garden dipping, you know, oh the sugar and crunching it. My grandma did that too. And her really? name was Most Lucille. People never Lucille? Oh, yeah. Yeah. But I grew up in Minnesota and we, I don't know where you grew up, but that's how we always ate rhubarb in the summer with sugar. Um, yeah. You'd so pick she, it. As soon as it came up, we'd run and get a stock and then run to the kitchen and get sugar. So my grandmother was based in Ohio. I lived in Michigan, but it was a short drive. But, you know, I've never met anyone who who's known that story before until now. Oh. Most people think it's very odd. You should also go up to Alaska. Do you know they grow crazy rhubarb up there? Oh, yeah. 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 I think it must be a Midwest thing. I have fun yeah. raising rhubarb it in the summer. much better. You know, it's funny, you mentioned the chocolate festival in Ashland, and that was our stomping grounds, and that's where we raised our kids. Oh. And yeah, we, we moved here to, in, to Portland to launch the um, brand, so we moved oh. here in 2020. Okay. Yeah. Maybe but, you can give uh, me some Ashland tips. 
some tips on where to go when I'm in Ashland. I oh think. yeah, I got lots of tips. It's and it's a beautiful place to hike if you you know you don't have to get in a car to have some lovely outdoor experiences. Yeah, there's that park right down in the center of Ashland. I've walked mm-hmm. and you can go before. above the park and just get into wildlands really easily. Oh, sounds like a good idea. So you have the four beverages. Mm-hmm. Are you having other flavors or products that have come to mind that you're thinking about launching that you might want to tell us about? Or is it top secret? It's not that it's top secret. And yes, I always have ideas and I have a lot of ideas. But as we're growing the business and talking to uh, prospective investors, one of the things I'm hearing is don't release another SKU this year. Focus on what you've got. Grow what yeah. you've got. And so... I am heeding that advice, but oh, good. Um, there will be another sparkler, um, another can 2024. They can only be, only hold to be back so long on that. I know. And so I can tell that all of your flavors and herbs and spices and everything are super important to you. What did you do before you decided to launch this beverage? Because we have a lot of listeners who are on the fence. They're like, Oh, I have this idea. What's uh-huh. going to, you know, like, how am I going to justify it? Like, what, where were you at with that? Like, what did uh, well, you do I was, before? So, yeah, my life was very different. Um, I mean, I, I had a big garden. I was always a passionate hobbyist. Um, you know, like I said, we had that Nick and Nora vibe. So we had the, just the overflowing fridge of all the experiments. You know, I made liqueurs and vermouth. I made my own vermouth, you know, like that's Whoa. really time consuming, but I did that. Jeff made cluster select wines and ciders and wow. you know, cordials. And I, you know, when somebody wasn't drinking, I always made sure they had something nice too. So yeah, I was just very focused on that stuff as a hobbyist, but you know, my paid work background was more in like um, small farms and food security. And I was an activist and right Ooh. before we did this crazy journey, I actually had gotten my MFA and was writing a novel. I put oh. it aside. What was the novel? Well, it's, you know, it's, it's a finished draft, but it's not done done. Um, It's based in Southern Oregon based. It's about community and the land and uh, environmental activism. It draws, it draws on some of my life experiences. Okay. Is there any love story or drama or. Oh, well, of course, because it's a novel. There has to be. Okay, good. (laughs) Well, maybe you're going to have to publish that thing. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's right now the business takes all my creative energy. You know, I, I feel very fulfilled, but speaking of energy. So if you told somebody how many hours a week you put in, so like, I think people say they quit their jobs to be an entrepreneur. Yeah. That's crazy. Right. Because they think it's not full time. Well, I can't imagine that anybody really thinks that, but I suppose they might. And what is it actually? Is it double time? triple time. Probably, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't really track in that way. Okay. But I'm trying to be more conscious about my boundaries with work nice. and being more intentional about my time off. Um, my daughter, so my kids are young adults and they both work with us, which is really fun. Oh, that's yeah. cool. Yeah. So our son is here in Portland and he works in the facility and he's our logistics czar. And our daughter is in New York City and she does uh, social media and our New York events and research. Oh. But when she was last here, she set an alarm on my phone. One of them says plan for tomorrow. And then an hour later, it says stop working. And oh. I don't even know how to change it. I don't know what she did. <laughs> oh, it's that's good. actually good advice. Have you been yeah. listening to the alarms? Just wondering. 
they at least make me think when I don't stop. I think to myself, okay, that's a good reminder. I'm going to keep going a little bit, you know, but yeah. Yeah. Jeff and I are both trying to do a better job of tending all our relationships and and spending, you know, more seeking joy. Yeah. Work-life balance. That's a Mm -hmm. good thing. So on that note, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about where your manufacturing happens. Oregon State University's College of Agricultural Sciences and the Food Innovation Center are proud sponsors of Meaningful Marketplace. With a mission to serve all Oregonians, we are committed to giving voice to those whose food and agricultural stories are not always heard. By providing access and opportunity for a more diverse and just food system, because food brings people together. Okay, folks, Shelly's going to take a deeper dive into how they make their products. And it sounds like you have your own manufacturing facility. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so we have our own facility in North Portland. Um, It's a really cool space because it was a large, historically, I guess it was a potato chip factory. And it's been converted into a maker space. Okay. Um, so it's the general in- industry building, if you know that one over like kind of Vancouver and Lombard area. Um, I think I do know that area. Yeah. It's really wonderful because it's a lot of beverage folks. Oh. And so, yeah, it, it's fun. I mean, they're also like, you know, CBD people and tattoo artists and letterpress people. But the larger manufacturing spaces are taken up by beverage. So like Swift Cider, Happy Mountain Kombucha, Wraps, syrups, and bitters. Those are all our neighbors. I've been there. And actually, so it's kind of cool. If you want to go on your lunch break, you can get a tattoo. Yeah, I haven't done that. But yes, it has lovely outdoor patio as well. And just, you know, it's just great being surrounded by other folks that you can bounce things off of. Or, you know, we all, we co-own or the building owns this forklift. And, you know, there's the potential for co-manufacturing right in the building, things like that. Okay. Since you brought it up, do you actually do co-manufacturing for people or are you solely focused on your products? We are focused on our products, although there have been a few, you know, small, more of the like pilot run stuff that um, Jeff is talking to some people about because he is, he's really good. Um, Jeff's background was environmental remediation and he was a hydrogeologist. And so like, oh, science. Yes intense science and like safety and protocols and nice he's perfect for operations yes he is he really is so you know we've knock on wood we've never had a bad batch or anything like that like oh that's great news okay yeah so some people do talk to him about that and it's something that we we may be able to do um we uh we hire a mobile canner so like we do the bottling ourselves but then the canner comes into our facility and you know we've a bunch of cans at one time so that's that's pretty fun i think a lot of beverage folks are using those uh, mobile canners Mm -hmm. so um you're actually able to carbonate those so you have bright tanks and all that stuff oh that's wonderful yeah that's cool so tell us a little bit about your packaging design i was i was sneaking through your website i noticed on your about us page there's a beautiful kind of wallpaper behind you and then your bottle sort of looks like the wallpaper it's printed on the glass I think is it true oh we no we have paper labels um those paper 
well, you know what? I wonder what you're looking at. You're looking at my website. So you shouldn't. Yeah. Be- you're sitting on your husband's lap. Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. That, that's so funny, Sarah. You've got such a good eye. That is the one vestige of the old branding. That is an old oh. bottle there. But I can still tell the story because it's the same artist. Um, okay. Tell us the story. So we, we um, just, it's kind of a reflection of, you know, the level of art artisanship and, you know, mm-hmm. handmade quality of our work. So everything starts with original art that we have commissioned from a local oh. paper artist. Oh, so that's cool. Yeah, it's really cool. She uses an exacto knife and cuts what? out. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing. I have all the original work. So she cut oh. every little line, every vein in a leaf is, you know, cut by hand by her mm-hmm. with this exacto knife. And then our design team turns them into labels. And so that photo that you're referencing is our old branding and wallpaper. Um, What we noted pretty early on was that while it looks beautiful with light and air around it, and it looks beautiful on a website, our liquid is dark and those clear labels uh, oh. The botanicals didn't pop. Yeah, they weren't popping on grocery shops. You had to get some solid color behind it. Yeah, yeah. So we okay, then I get that. Used the same artist uh-huh. and we said, okay, instead of thinking about botanicals, let's go in a little different direction and let's think about each drink and the occasion when you might enjoy it okay. and how you might feel when you consume it. And oh. so she created these little vignettes and that's what the current labels on paper are. And so Eva's Spritz is a picnic in the sunshine. Nice. Um, Rose City Fizz shows somebody with their feet in the water and a, and a, you know, little container of, of strawberries gathered in their skirt. Um, the Saskatoon shows uh, two people with a bouquet of flowers and an empty, empty wine glasses as if they're, you know, having a dinner party with friends, nice. a dinner party. And then smoky number 56 has a little bit of a campfire scene because it's a oh. smoky kind of campfire vibe to that. That's drink. cool. So how do you, so you, but you also have a logo for your, for better, for worse, right? Yeah. For bitter, for worse. Sorry, yeah. for bitter. Sorry. Uh, so that was Tell created by our that. local. Huh? Tell us about your lo- your branded logo for your, your company name. So our designers, um, they are each other company here in Portland, um, two woman shop created our new logo. Um, and they also took the, commissioned artwork and created the labels with it. Oh, okay. And so when you put them on the bottles, do you hand apply those labels or do you oh, have no. a machine? No, we have a machine. Oh, that's nice. Is the machine easy to use or yeah. to, how does it do it? Do you just do one bottle at a time or is it done on the production line? It is one bottle at a time, but it's electric. So it's semi-automated. We were using something that was manual. That was one bottle at a time with our last labels. And that is a lot more, laborious and and not as reliable in quality either this one is a little um motorized thing you use a foot pedal like a sewing machine and it's very fast that's cool yeah but it's not part of a line because we don't have a bottling line machine you know Mm -hmm. it's like we have these automated fillers and then we pasteurize and then we label okay so as you've grown your business you sort of started with one thing and then learned what you needed to sort of take it to the next step and ended up changing a little bit. As yeah. You know. It's, it's more about incremental growth, you know, like yeah. we, we could have had one of these machines earlier on, but we didn't necessarily have all the resources for it, nor were we, you know, when we started out, we weren't selling that many bottles. So it's just like growing as you need things. Okay. So let's since you brought that up, 
If you could go back in time, could you tell us like the first year about how many bottles you sold? Oh, people always ask me, oh, I'm going to start a business. How many should I make? Like, how many can you sell? I mean, we're definitely into, okay, that varies depending on what the, what the person is making, what their, their shelf life is too. Right. That's true. So, um, we're much more of a just in time kind of thing, you know, like we we have everything, not just in time, like literally, but fairly fresh. And when we started out, we were more conservative with our best buy dates because, you know, as you know, it takes, it takes a lot to determine where, you know, yes. And it's your responsibility as a maker, isn't it? To figure that out. Yes. So when we started, we had about a six month Best Buy date. Now through, you know, testing and time and stressing the bottles and literally leaving things out, you know, we feel confident that a year is, is good. So you have a year. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I'm not sure I could tell you in our first year, how many bottles we made. It's a good question for me to look up and think about. Um, but I would say, don't think as much if you're starting about what you can make in a year as like, take it incrementally, think about what your markets are and what you can sell bit by bit. And then, you know, did you ever sell at the farmer's market, Shelly? We didn't because we launched during lockdown. So our original plan um, was to start in grocery. So I can tell you the day we've sold our first bottle. Oh, tell us that. December 7th, 2019. Oh. And it was um, at the Eat Oregon Now food show. Oh, nice. So we went, we came up from Ashland to -hmm. do that show and then to do a show at Crafty Wonderland for the holidays. And we had an amazing response. Um, our plan was to think about grocery, start in Ashland, and you know maybe someday we'd move to Portland or something. Well, like that, there's right? a lot of good makers in Ashland. That's a For creative sure. community. Yeah. For sure. But they don't have the maturity of the food and beverage and the breadth of the food and beverage industry that we have here. True. Um, and they don't have the population. Yeah. Yeah. So, Yours. But, you know, we were in Ashland, we came up here to sell our very first bottle and um, buyers from Market of Choice and New Seasons attended Ooh, that show. And we requested love Market meetings. of Choice. Yeah. Oh, they requested meetings. <gasps> yeah. Oh. So we had meetings and we went from zero counts to what we thought would be 28 in a couple of days, you know, and we're like, oh, we have all these grocery stores that we need to service. You know, we're going to have to do demos. We should probably move to Portland. So then a couple days later, we went to the Crafty Wonderland show and did great and had lots of enthusiasm. And so I asked, I knew my, my neighboring booth and I said, you know, gosh, I think we're going to have to like come to Portland. I think we're going to have to, you know, find a facility where we can. And she said, I know someone, I know somebody who has room for a co-tenant. So she introduced us to our first space um, and that was um, Good Wolf Waterkeeper. So we were, yeah, so we actually um, were together in their space um, and it was tricky because then lockdown happened and we couldn't physically be there at the same time or anything, right? Yeah, so you had to juggle. Groceries didn't work out as we thought because no one was in the store. I mean, Market of Choice was amazing, kept us on. We continued, you know, to to sell there and certainly did much better once we could finally do demos. It actually took us until um, December of 2022 to launch at New Seasons. Oh, sometimes a little slower there anyway. 
Yeah, I mean, it, it was fine. It was just, you know, we couldn't, they didn't want us to launch until we could do demos, which, you know, ah, makes some sense. That makes so, sense. Um, yeah. So anyway, we moved up here, um, focused on stores, but, you know, it's like we then sort of grew to the point where our focus was more wholesale and direct to consumer. So we kind of, we just didn't get to do that. Um, farmers market stuff. So tell me a little bit about demos and where you fit into the retail uh, shelf. So are you yeah. next to wine bottles? Like, huh. did you create a new category? What's going on there? That's a well, little confusing. It something. is a new category. Yeah. Grocery is not always, you know, it's not that straightforward, is it? It isn't. And so um, some grocers are very progressive and understanding that the ideal thing is to curate a set, you know, yeah. and that's where Bring we're them all in. Yeah. yeah. Adult non-alcoholic beverages. Yeah. Um, that said, you know, in some stores we're in the wine department and some stores we're adjacent to the wine department and some stores we are in with the mixers. The mixers. Yeah. yeah. It's working out. Okay. I mean, that's where we are at Metropolitan Market in, in Seattle. Their goal okay. is to build a dedicated set adjacent to the wine department, but they haven't uh, been able to do it yet. And we're still doing doing well next to the mixers. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, ideally we will have eventually in all stores, you know, an adult non-alcoholic beverage set and probably the distribution should be wine and spirits distributors. But, you know, that's also what varies uh, grocery versus wine. So it makes it tricky to know who to service your accounts, you know? Okay. So um, since we were talking about where it is in the grocery store, can you tell us, I know we talked about the design a little bit, but who is your primary target? And did you design your packaging for that primary target? Or did you design it to be beautiful because you have your own aesthetic and that's what you did? I mean, a lot of times brands are targeted at specific people. Can you tell mm -hmm. us a little bit about that? Well, I mean, we do know that our consumers are primarily women uh, educated, often urban, you know, probably millennials for sure, but like, you know, 25 to 60. Um, that said, I feel like we designed for our aesthetic, what fit the brand, what felt good to us. You know, I'm also a woman. It doesn't look like a bro bottle. That's for sure. Yeah. I think <laughs> it has a very nice feminine look to it. Um, and I like that about it. I think it's very beautiful. Thank you. Um, so I'm pretty sure that you do feel that the package is important as well as the product and matching mm -hmm. those two things together. And so when yeah. you come up with a new product, do you sit down and design the package and the product at the same time? No. Uh, you mean, if you're just talking about the label at this point, that's what we mean by packaging. Yeah. No, I thought about the flavor profile. And so like Rose City Fizz is our newest. That mm -hmm. one um, I designed, you know, we just released it. It was basically end of July, early August. And so in that case, I was thinking about an audience partly. Um, you know, one of the most important things for us is inclusion. And we have these wonderful friends, our neighbors, who are um, young Muslims. They are in their 30s. They're very stylish, very successful. They love to mm -hmm. go out and they don't have cocktail palettes. They've never tasted alcohol, but they okay. would 
something that's inclusive and that feels sophisticated. Yeah. And I noticed that um, our other flavors were a little bitter for them. Okay. And so I thought, okay, I want to create something that still feels like our brand, but that is more approachable and that might appeal to a little bit wider audience. And so I actually thought of Wagman Ali when I was making Rose City Fizz. And okay. that's where it came from. Well, this is jumping a little ahead, but I noticed that you were a 2023 Good Food Foundation finalist with Rose City Fizz. Yeah. And I guess you'll find out when you're in New York City if you won. Or are they announcing it? No, they're announcing it here in Portland. That's April. April. Correct. Oh, my gosh. You must be so excited and nervous about that. It's a great honor regardless. You know, I mean, being a finalist feels very special. And I'm excited. I haven't, uh, you know, I did the Good Food Mercantile in San Francisco last year and New okay. York, but I didn't do Portland. And so it's going to be fun to be at the Portland. Yeah, the Portland one's super fun. But that's not the only award you won. I saw that you also won some awards for your beverages in London at the Wine and Spirits Competition in 2021. That's only one year into your business. You yeah. should be super proud of yourself. Can you tell us about those awards? Yeah, thank you. We've got some more coming out too. So the International Wine and Spirits Award competition is the oldest spirits competition in the world. So it is a big deal. And it's that's it, a big deal. Yeah, yeah. It's very exciting. So we we Evo's won a gold and the Saskatoon won a bronze at those competitions. And that was was definitely very exciting. Have um, those awards helped your business? Yeah, I yeah, I think you know that they call it social proof, right? Like when people see awards, it gives you some added cred. You know, same thing with press. Like we've we've had good earned media and so when people see the New York Times, you know, Forbes, they they note that. So I do think those are are helpful for sale. So you definitely use your awards to promote your products. Yeah, I don't have any stickers or anything on the um on the bottles themselves, but I do, you know, I do promote it. It's on our sell sheets. It's on, you know, shelf talkers for the, for the shelves in the stores. Yeah. Yeah. It depends. You know, a lot of stores do their own. Like that's another thing that's sort of tricky. You know, they, not every store will take your shelf talker. Oh, they kind of want to do their own thing. Yeah. Their own branding. So do you think that that recognition helps you with the buyers? I do. Yeah. I think it helps with buyers. That's cool. And who are your primary buyers? Are they in the alcohol section of the store? It's, it depends. Uh, some, some stores, it's the wine buyer or the wine and spirits buyer. Other stores, it's grocery buyers. Um, depends on the individual store. That's cool. So you, so for each new store that you go to, you basically have to figure out which buyer you're going to talk to. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And then sometimes they don't know. <laughs> like Whole Foods can't can't make up their mind. <laughs> and when, maybe you just have to give samples to all the buyers. And then whoever right. likes it the most will fight to be your buyer. Right. So I also noticed that you were in the Forbes Valentine's gift guide this year. Mm-hmm. How did they find out about you? Did they contact you for samples? They did. Yeah. Actually, I'm thinking that both Forbes pieces were they contacted me. So we are, um, New York Times Wirecutter made a list. It's a very, very, very comprehensive article. I mean, their review process was amazing. And they had like the top 18 
non-alcoholic drinks and we were listed in there. And so that has led a lot of other press because it was so extensive and so vetted that then, um, you know, other journalists know about us because of that. So in the top 18, what were you? Oh, they don't list them. They don't list them like that. It's not like okay. one through 18, but um, two of our varietals were mentioned. So they just want people to know about you. That's great. Yeah. So they don't rank it, but each one is like, they'll have one that's like spirit replacers, one that's wine alternatives, one that are challenging drinks, you know, so it's different categories. So when you're at the Mercantile here in Portland, what are you hoping to have happen there? Let's just throw it out there and see if we can make it happen. Uh, I would really like for Byright in San Francisco. To oh, you want Byright? I do. Yeah. Oh, well, okay. Let's work on that. Yeah. And, and then, I'd like to figure out, I don't know whether Whole Foods will be there. Um, probably, but, I would think so. Yeah. So, you know, they they don't have the local forager program anymore. And yeah, so she retired. Uh, no, they got rid of the program. That's oh. what I heard. Oh, okay. Uh, that's what I heard. Anyway, um, so they're, they're going to a category management thing. So I would like to figure out who is the best person to talk to at Whole Foods. Okay. Um, I'd like to resume conversations with William Sonoma. Oh, they're very nice too. I bet they'll be there. Yeah. Yeah. That's where I met them last time. Yeah. Okay. And so what's your strategy? Are you going to, so I always tell people when they go to trade shows and they're a maker, they should have little gift bags and things ready to give to the buyers you're going after. Mm -hmm. Do you have a strategy like that? Oh, you know what? That's a great point. Now that we have different formats, I do have to think that through a little bit more. Um, the last time I did a trade show, we had small boxes of six ounce bottles. Nice. Um, now we have, you know, the big bottles and the smaller cans. So I do have to think about what is the the easy takeaway. And I'm glad you mentioned that. Yeah. Um, I can give canned four packs very easily, but if I, I should have some small mix of bottles. Yeah. yeah. Now um, tell us a little bit about how you, prepare for a trade show do you have your table like all decked out in a certain design to match your packaging or what's mm. your style when you go to a trade show well a table keep in mind that I've only done a couple okay <laughs> because you know whether there was lockdown all of that so uh we've done two good food mercantiles and we did um a little distributor tabletop show which is different yeah sure we're do fancy food with you yes in New York um I'm walking the Florida Expo West I'm not doing that one yet I'll so I'll be there too yeah I have um you know, I have learn. a branded tablecloth and I have a stand-up banner and I have um, a little nice modular wooden elevated shelf that, you know, raises the bottles up a little bit. Nice. Um, and then I usually, you know, then I do wing it a little bit depending on space. Um, you know, I might have fresh flowers. I might have fruit. You know, one year I had this, I wanted height. Um, so I had a bunch of handmade tissue paper flowers that were very oh, bright colored and stood fun. up. Yeah, draws but, people attention to it. Right. And I could do something like that in Portland. That would, wouldn't be so easy to execute in New York, maybe. So, I, you know, I'll think about it. But yeah, I do think finding ways to draw the eye is important. Um, I have a question for you. Oh, let's see if I can answer it. So What's I the heard that people at Fancy Food decorate their cubicles in the press room. Oh, yes. The press room. Yep. Yeah. So what is that? Like, what does it look like? What What can you do so, to decorate your cubicle? So 
Yeah, there's a couple of things. One is you can get an interview in there. So you want to, once we get all the paperwork done and you are signed up to be an exhibitor, you can get an appointment to talk to their PR people. Mm-hmm. So you want to do that. And then the second thing is they have these little boxes that are like 10 by 10 squares. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like you can make a diorama. And so they have tape and stuff. So you can bring your flyers and you could bring a couple empty containers and uh-huh. you can kind of just tape everything in there and make it interesting. Leave a few cards and some sell sheets. And uh-huh. it's a great way to draw attention to your product. And... I recommend it for anyone who's a a maker who has a booth at the Fancy Food Show to get that press attention. I think the power of press releases is kind of a little known fact. It's super important to your business to be transparent and let people know what you're doing. Like, Mm -hmm. what are some interesting things that you're planning? What are things you've done? What are some of your successes? And how do you get in touch with you? Like, what's your contact information, Uh you know? That's that's what you use that space for. Oh, thanks. That's great. Actually, I noticed you have a really nice website and you have a blog on there and you have uh-huh. recipes and how to shop. Is there anything um, on that website that you would like to share with us? Hmm. You mean in terms of like end users, consumers? Yeah. Or- yeah, or if somebody goes on there on your website to check you out, because we'll mm-hmm. we'll post your contact information in our show notes, and so people will be able to find you that way. But um, if somebody does go to your website, is there anything that you'd like them to experience? Yeah, I guess what I would say is that there's another thing that's a little bit interesting about our brand is that everything is ready to enjoy over ice, but it's also really fun and elevated recipes. And so the recipe page on our website is pretty extensive. Um, in some cases, you know, some fairly famous bartenders have designed some of the some of the drink recipes. And so it, that is a lot of fun. And it also sometimes calls for, you know, some fellow brands, other makers products in there. So that's what I would say is, is take a look at, at the extended uses of our drinks and have some fun. Okay. And now I have a couple more questions. Is mm-hmm. there anything that you'd like to tell our listeners about your business that might be helpful to them? It might be helpful to them. Okay. Yeah. Um, Second I- one, while you're thinking about it, is there anything that you need from your community right now and how can we help support you? So oh, those wow. are kind of... Okay. Um, I think... One of the things that I would say that I can offer is that um, we've had good press and what I would say, you know, we don't, we don't have PR agencies or anything. We don't have a budget for that. So what I would say is that think about building authentic relationships and honing in on certain writers that you're really interested in and you like, you know, that what they they cover resonates with you and form a relationship, you know, um, send them an email, letting them know that you, liked a certain story or, you know, I've, I've used Instagram and like you sent them a DM and then offer, you know, samples and just kind of start, start the relationship so that you can, can have a good connection. So I think that that's one thing I would say that is a good thing to offer. That's Um, very good advice. It takes a little bit of time, you know, but um, I, I think, think all good relationships take time, don't they? Exactly. Yeah. And I, I think there's not really a shortcut to it in a way, I guess is what I want to say, but it's really mm-hmm. worth it. like the New York Times, you know, that's, that's amazing for your business. Yeah. 
I know it really affected affected the way my career has been since I was in the New York Times. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, is there any way that we can support you? What's what can your community do for you right now? Well, I mean, the thing that I am wrestling with that I would love some input from is thinking about uh, when we get to we're, we're forecasting now and projecting now for larger scale launches. It doesn't have to be fully national, but a large enough chain where it's regional, you know, many stores, what the slotting fees look like, what the the other costs of a launch might be. Because right now, you know, um, the stores that we've been in have been more local and very, very friendly to us, you know, market of choice, new season. Yeah. Um, but when I have to step outside of my backyard and this very nurturing relationship, I need to understand a little bit more about what to expect, um, primarily, actually. I think if you go to the fancy food show, you're going to find there are a lot of buyers like New Seasons and Market of Choice that aren't going to charge you slotting fees. Mm -hmm. Okay. And there's a lot of businesses here on the West Coast um, that you can service, like the LA market, they're all similar kind of businesses to marketed choice and new seasons. There's groups of stores. Uh, maybe you can self distribute directly to them by the pallet. Uh-huh. And yeah, they, we do that for other stores. They manage and warehouse everything themselves, and you're just selling directly to them. So you're not going into that distribution. I don't know what you want to call it, but there's a lot of added costs. Yeah, that's and um, I would just be really careful and just try maybe make a decision not to work with folks that have have those slotting fees. Like, Mm -hmm. why should you pay a slotting fee when you're new? Like, you don't need to do business with those folks at this point. I guess that would be my answer. Uh huh. Okay. And then a lot of that's going to end up being managed through a distributor anyway. And so um, having to go through a distributor maybe to expand across the U.S. is something that gets very complex. And I'm not an expert in that area, but I would say that what you want to do is find someone who is. And we do have people here in the Portland area who have that kind of experience that can help you. Just send me a note and I'll connect you with, with some of those folks. Thanks. Okay, so um, one thing that we love to encourage people to do is to buy directly from you as a maker, either at a farmer's market or online or at a shop. Where can people buy from you directly, Shelley? They can buy directly from us at ForBitterForWorse.com. And here in Portland, we can often deliver. Oh, that's great. Shelley, thank you so much for spending time with me today. It's been great fun talking with you. You've been very candid and I appreciate it and learning from you about your beverages. Um, We record Masonian Marshall every week. You can find us on your favorite podcast platform, including iTunes and Stitcher. Thank you to our audio engineer, Alon, and our production assistant, Chelsea. If you'd like to be a guest on our show, send us a DM on Instagram at Masonian Marshall. Until next week, thank you for joining us and bye for now. Thanks, Sarah. You're listening to the Startup Radio Network. Listen, learn, launch. 10% of our gross revenue goes directly to women entrepreneurs in developing countries around the world through Kiva's microfinance program.